How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for healthcare professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Welcome to the Mea Culpa series of this podcast. In this particular podcast series, I'm going to be interviewing uh, friends, families, colleagues to uh, share with you, the audience, the different mistakes that have been done uh, in their personal lives. And when I mean mistakes, I'm talking about financial mistakes, of course. The goals of these um, Mea Culpa series is really to give the audience uh, a sense of what real life uh, financial mistakes people have been doing. So I'm hoping that you enjoyed this series of podcast uh, and learn from um, other people's mistakes like uh, we would do in uh, mortality and morbidity rounds uh, in medicine. Okay, so welcome to the show. Uh, we are back with uh, How's My Financial Health Doc uh, podcast. And today I've got another friend for you guys. And her name is Anne. And Anne is, a, is an optometrist uh, who uh, works uh, with me at uh, one of my clinics. And uh, Anne is uh, also a very good friend that uh, she's uh, happy to share some of her financial challenges. Uh, welcome to the show, Anne. Hi, Vu. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to share my experience. So I'm an optometrist. I'm currently practicing in the greater Toronto area. I'm 28 years old um, and I graduated in 2017. So I've been working for about three years now. Prior to optometry school, I did an undergraduate degree in biology. So I'm just getting started with my career now. Very good. Uh, so I think like most uh, healthcare professionals, at least in Canada and in North America, we've gone through a lot of uh, studies and a, a lot of degrees just to get to where we are. And so we are finally working and finally uh, self-sustainable, I think, <laughs> making an income and uh, being on your own. Uh, and so let me just ask you a quick question. And when you went through uh, schooling for to become an optometrist, um, did you get a, uh, some training in personal finance or, you know, even things to help you with your career financially along the way? Did you get any training in that? So I'll have to admit, Vu, during my whole university career, well, I did four years of my undergrads in biology and then straight into four years of optometry school. And during that time, I did not take a single finance or business or economics course. So um, unfortunately, um, I do have limited financial background and financial knowledge. Okay, well, you know what? Your story sounds exactly like mine, except for the optometry part. So uh, don't worry, we're all in the same boat. And I guess that's why we're doing these type of podcasts so that we can educate the masses. And when I say the masses, I, <laughs> I really mean our community because I think other people are more uh, knowledgeable than we are in at least personal finance. Okay, so Anne, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, your challenge. Uh, what was the, the one thing you wanted to share with the audience today? Yes, so the experience that I would like to share 
is about purchasing disability insurance as a new grad without fully understanding the policy, all the different riders, and then of course not updating the policy over time. So during my final year of optometry school back in 2017, all of a sudden, as a class, we were suddenly approached by different companies. I believe they were financial advisors who came in um, to talk to us. They had presentations set up about disability insurance. And to be honest, I think the most interesting part that I remember about these presentations were probably the free lunches that they brought in. I mean, as a student, you're pretty excited about the free lunches. And then they do their presentations. Um, they introduce the disability insurance. But for a handful of us, I think it's it was probably the first time we were exposed to the idea of needing to purchase disability insurance. So after they did their presentations, they would leave their business cards. They would leave a whole bunch of packages. Um, and for myself, at least, um, those were things I just kind of left off to the side. Didn't really think much about it at that time because we were all very preoccupied at that time about different things like writing our board exams, getting our licenses, uh, applying for jobs. But fast forward a few months later, we all have our licenses, um, we're waiting for work to start. And that's when everyone starts thinking that they're in a crunch to get the disability insurance. And that's when um, in our group chats, our classmates start thinking about, start asking questions about which financial advisor are you going with and which policy are you thinking of going with? Um, and I think my first mistake at that point was just not fully doing the research myself and just going along with the crowd, kind of just um, purchasing whatever my friends are purchasing. Um, and I do remember at that time, there was a particular financial advisor that was pretty popular within my class. So that was the same person that I had reached out to. At that time, we did have a one-on-one -on -one meeting set up to sit down to talk about the different terminology before I signed the policy. Um, but given my limited financial background, I kind of just went with their word. And so as a result, I think I didn't really fully understand the, the policy, all the different riders. And then I don't think I made the best options for myself in the long run. Um, and it's been about three years now. I'm still sitting on the same policy, haven't updated it. So I think there are a lot of learning points that can come out of this. Your experience is not unlike mine. Um, and in fact, most, uh, I would probably gather to say at least 95% of all medical students across uh, Canada and across North America. Uh, at least I can comfortably say uh, at least across Canada. The way you experienced it is the same way we experienced it as well. So in our final year, for some reason, uh, the university who now is very against, um, you know, third party uh, uh, vendors um, and against, you know, pharma and against all these third party vendors are for some reason, okay to allow financial institutions and allow financial advisors to come into our sanctuary and, and sell us things as if, you know, uh, that is any different than pharma. And so they allow these individuals to come to us at a time when we are vulnerable. Because to be honest, you and I study, uh, you study optometry, I study medicine, we're trying to get ready for exams. 
uh, we know nothing about finance and they allow people to come into our sanctuaries and talk to us about this when we know nothing about it, use pressure tactics sometimes, and then uh, sell us things that we don't know much about. And the, the issue is they sell us products, they don't sell us a service. Uh, and so when we don't know much about the product, well, we do like what you did and your colleagues said, well, you know, what did you buy, uh, Anne? Uh, well, I, I bought this. Uh, what do you think about this clause, Anne? Well, I don't know, but they suggested that. So we go to our colleagues and we go to our friend and say, you know, what do you think? And, you know, it's the blind leading the blind. <laughs> None of us know any of this. And so we're just going as a mass into this trap that, uh, that they set for us. But the thing that really irritates me the most or made me upset the most is the fact that the university allows it. Uh, and so this is one thing that I think should need, should stop and need to stop. Um, the other thing is, well, you've purchased a, a product that is, you know, in, in some and in general, very useful to you, but how useful is it if you don't understand it well, correct? And so one needs to understand it well. And uh, at a time when we buy it, we may not necessarily understand it well. And to be honest, these quote unquote advisors don't necessarily explain it to us in a way that we understand it. We look at them and say, I have no clue what you just said to me, but sure, why not? I'll just buy it, right? But we don't understand. So a lot of jargons are being thrown at us and we don't understand and we, and we buy these, these things. And, and their purpose is to sell. Their purpose is not to service uh, and it's not to educate us either. Uh, after you bought that product or even as you were purchasing that product, did any of them try to educate you? And I, I'm, I don't know what your experience is. Mine was no. How about yours, Anne? Um, no. So I haven't really been educated more about the policy once I purchased it. It was just kind of something that I thought I got over with, like I purchased it, I put it aside, didn't have to think about it anymore. From time to time, I will get, you know, an update like, oh, you can increase your monthly payment now. Um, but of course, that's not, that's something also that I just put off to the side and didn't really think about updating. Yeah. So again, very similar and almost exactly my experience as well as a brand new grad not understanding this and you know every year they would send me a letter and say hey we can now upgrade there's an option to upgrade and i'm like well why would i want to pay more <laughs> like why would i want to give you more money uh and I'm like no so i put it aside or throw it in the garbage until you know i uh, come to realize actually it's something i must do or should at least seriously consider over time uh, because it is probably in my best benefit to understand this. So the experience you you had as a optometry student is not very different from what a lot of the medical and dental students go through. Unfortunately, uh, we are put in that situation uh, and we are allowed to put in that situation because of universities allowing to open doors for these um, so-called advisors. Yeah, exactly. I think you nailed it. I mean, um, I feel like we were we didn't have a, real, a lot of time to think about the options. We felt like we were in a crunch. We just got our licenses. We needed to start working. Um, and, and we were made to feel that we need to get this sooner rather than later. They offered 
new grad discounts, which were pretty good deals, but it really made us think that we needed to get something uh, immediately. The other thing you mentioned was not updating your policy. Um, so now that you're three years into practice, um, obviously your income is better than hopefully a year ago, and and I I hope that you know your your income will just continue to grow as you grow your career and your profession. And so over time, uh, you need to update your policy. So do you know uh, how much you're being covered right now? And I, I don't need a, a number, but just in terms of percentage-wise, do you know how much of your current monthly income, your current policy uh, is covering you? I would say it's about 40% of my current monthly income. Right. And so that's that's the reason why we need to update it, because uh, when you first started, um, that amount was most appropriate for you because you were just starting. You weren't making a, a high enough income to justify a higher coverage. Uh, but now that you're three years into it, you're more experienced, you've gathered a roster of clients, uh, and now you're having a more, uh, I would say, uh, comfortable in income flow. Uh, and so your monthly income has definitely increased. And so the amount, the absolute amount that you purchased three years ago only represents today about 40% of your current income. Um, disability insurance will allow you to cover up to 60% of your current income. And so definitely there's room to increase that. And that's what those you know yearly letters that tell you, uh, you can by option increase, that's what they were for. Right, so that you can increase those year after year uh, steadily and progressively. And so I did not understand that. I did not understand that at all. And I'm at a point where I'm actually undercovered. Uh, and it seems like you are a little bit undercovered as well. Yep, I would have to agree. It always came down to exactly what you said. Did I really need it at this time? Uh, do I really need to be paying more on my monthly premium? Um, because you're right, as a new grad, your um, financial position is very different from when you're practicing for a few years down the road. Yeah. And, um, and sometimes we don't do it, not because we haven't thought about it or just or we don't want to pay that uh, premium. It's just sometimes we're just so busy, right? Uh, we come home from work. And then we have the kids and then the, the spouse to deal with and then the garbage to collect. Uh, and then, uh, oh, we we'll have to do some work in the shed or I have to pay bills, et cetera. So, you know, life gets in the way and uh, we don't necessarily remember to come back to that letter that we received. And, you know, to be honest, sometimes I even misplaced that letter. So <laughs> don't even know where that letter went. And so, you know, when that happens year after year after year, then and you don't increase your your monthly coverage, then you can definitely fall behind. Now that you notice that it's only 40%, um, what do you think you'll do You'll do next? Like, What would be the next step you'll be taking? I think now that I know that I am a bit undercovered with the policy, um, the next step would really be to reach out back to my financial advisor, um, perhaps rediscuss different options, see what I can update. I mean, the main mistake from all of this is 
not truly understanding the the, the policy in full. So um, really, I can identify that I need to be doing a lot more research and be understanding the policy a lot more. Understanding these policies are sometimes very tricky because, you know, these are written by insurance companies and they have probably 10,000 lawyers that help them draft these policies. And so for a lay person like myself or like yourself, sometimes it could be challenging. And so definitely having someone on your side to help you discuss that is, is very important. Uh, you mentioned to me in previous conversations uh, that you did do one thing, though. You, you went from a, a policy with a rider of own, own occupation to a regular occupation. So you've changed that. You've changed it to own to regular. Explain to me what happened there. So just looking through my records, I, I noticed that during that time, I did have a few policies drawn up with different quotes, um, but it seems like last minute I did change the rider from own occupation to regular occupation. Um, and my reasoning really at that time was uh, because I, I, at that time, I didn't really think optometry was a particularly physically demanding job. So I had made the assumption um, that I would probably have to sustain a pretty significant injury if it would stop me from working as an optometrist. And if that was the case, then I just assumed that I probably wouldn't be in good condition to be working at any job anyway. And so I had changed it from own occupation, which would allow coverage while working in any job, really, even um, mopping the floor, let's say, um, to, to regular occupation. Um, and keep in mind, I was a new grad at that time. I just also thought it was an easy way to shave a few dollars off of my monthly premium. But of course, looking back now, I'm three years practicing, three years out. Um, I have new financial goals. Um, and looking back, I probably should have kept the own occupation. Um, it just would have given me the most flexibility to maximize my earnings if I did sustain any injury. And so, you know, own occupation means that, you know, if I ha if I sustain an injury that made me uh, incapable to work as an optometrist, uh, that I would be covered, that the policy would kick in. Now, even though I'm not able to work as an optometrist, but I'm able to mop the floor, uh, if if that if we did have the own occupation. Um, the policy would kick in because I'm no longer an optometrist. I'm just mopping the floor. So you would get compensated by the insurance company. But if you had chosen regular occupation, then yes, I'm no longer able to work at a, as an optometrist, but I can mop the floor and make an income that way. Well, the policy would not kick in. And so you would no longer be compensated for uh, being a, an optometrist. And so I think it's always best as professionals to have your own uh, occupation because that's what you were trained for. That's what you were uh, uh, studying for. And you spend your entire life working towards this career that you so in enjoy. And so you really want to protect that. The other thing that, um, that uh, made me think about about this is, you know, um, the uh, the cost, right? So disability insurance is definitely by any stretch of imagination cheap, right? It, it is quite costly. 
Um, and so we look at that every day and say, oh, why am I paying this amount of premium? You know, it's a money down the drain, right? Uh, and we, we feel bad that we're spending this money. But, you know, disability insurance is a risk mitigation uh, product. And so it helps us put the risk on the shoulders of the insurance company instead of taking on that risk. So what do I mean? So uh, I'll take myself as an example. So I'm an emergency physician. So if I no longer can work as an emergency physician for whatever reason it may be because of an injury, then I lose the income, right? I no longer can work. So let's say I can't work for six to 12 months. Well, I'm going to lose six to 12 months of income. Now you can imagine how much that could be uh, over that span of time versus the amount of uh, versus the amount of premiums that I'm paying year after year. So when I'm paying a, what I call, at least relatively speaking, in comparison to my one-year salary, a small amount, uh, I'm paying a small amount to protect my against the downside. And so instead of me having to come up and think about how I'm going to make that six months or 12 months income when I can't work, Instead of putting the, the burden and the risk on my shoulders, I've put the burden and the risk on the insurance company's shoulders, right? So that's a transfer of risk. And that's what insurance are for. By paying that quote unquote small amount, I'm giving the insurance company all my risk, which is in my mind, a fair deal. <laughs> and right. so even if, I, even if I think I'm paying a lot of money at the end of the day, it's, it's a risk that I'm paying for, a risk mitigation that I'm paying for. Right. Um, and I think what everyone always says about insurance is it's something that it's really good to have. Best if you never need to claim it, but definitely something that you need to have. Exactly. It's like it's like a insurance for your car or insurance for your house, right? I buy the insurance so that I hope for God forbid my house never burns down, mm -hmm. right? But if it does burn down, it has to be there. Or, or I purchase car insurance so that for God forbid, I never get into a car accident. That, that's not why I'm buying it. I'm not buying it in order to get into a car accident. Uh, and I hope it never happens. But if it does happen, you're glad it's there. Yep. So and as professionals, we are the assets. So we have to protect ourselves. Exactly. And I think your, your sentence really nails it. Like as professionals, we are the asset. Because you and I don't produce widgets. <laughs> I don't produce something that I can sell on Amazon or I can sell on eBay, right? The way, the way you and I provide value to society is our service. So we are the product. And if we as the product or as a deliver person of the product can no longer work, then um, we no longer provide value. And so we need to protect that from the get-go. Uh, another point that you've mentioned that is very interesting as well uh, is we don't necessarily think about what disability means uh, because you mentioned, well, as an optometrist, you know, my job is not that uh, physical and I will most likely not get injured to the point where I cannot work as an optometrist. Uh, fair enough. But, you know, disability can come in many forms in many ways. And so what if... Um, you know, an optometrist was uh, walking down the street and then some kid comes near that person uh, and started scratching and unfortunately scratched the eye, right? So now the optometrist now has a corneal ulcer. 
uh, now has a corneal scarring, has to go through multiple corneal transplant surgeries to eventually end up with a permanent scar on the cornea of one eye, right? It has yeah. nothing and to I, do- ironic for an optometrist, right? <laughs> I mean, that's why I chose that example, right? Because you, you would understand what that means. Right. And so even though it's not a physical, a, a very disabling physical uh, disability, it is a hugely, hugely uh, disabling injury for an optometrist, right? Mm -hmm. And so yeah. having own occupation really mean something now in that scenario. Right. Yep. I absolutely understand what you're saying. Yeah. So we don't necessarily think about that um, because again, uh, we, we have not been educated on that. And uh, the person who sold you the product probably didn't make that difference. I didn't explain it to that detail. No. And the, the real life scenarios really help too put the whole picture together. Um, because I mean, when you're looking at these policies, you're kind of just imagining and thinking, well, what could, what could be so bad that I couldn't work as an optometrist, right? You don't think about all these possible scenarios in detail. Yeah. You know, um, as being an emergency doctor, I can probably tell you that, uh, life happens <laughs> and, uh, and, and life throws you curveballs. You just don't know when it's going to come. Mm -hmm. um, and, and curveballs could be anything and everything. And so you just need to be prepared for it. Right. You also mentioned in our discussion, the question of, you know, there's all these insurances out there, you know, critical illness insurance, life insurance, disability insurance, uh, you mentioned that, you know, one of your colleagues was thinking of canceling her disability insurance in order to purchase critical illness and life insurance. Uh, you, you mentioned that. Can you explain a little bit what was the situation? Yeah. So I think that for most of us as new grads, we start off with disability insurance because we're at a certain part of our, our lives, different stage, let's say. Um, and as we get a little bit older and we're entering a different stage of our lives, uh, we start thinking about the different options that are out there, including critical illness, life insurance. So at a point, a conversation had come up between um, me and one of my colleagues, um, whether to continue using disability insurance, whether to drop it even, um, and to get other types of insurance in place, such as critical illness and life insurance, um, if that would be a better option moving forward. It's a great question, and it's a very dangerous question uh, in the sense that the fact that your colleague would be entertaining to drop a disability insurance in order to buy a critical insurance or a life insurance really signifies that, you know, there is a true lack of understanding uh, among the general population and also among healthcare professionals of what these policies and insurances actually do, right? And it's to no fault to your colleague, but we have not been properly educated on these type of things. And so to answer the question is no, don't drop the disability insurance. Uh, it is something that as a healthcare professional, we must have because of the different life, uh, of the, the different curveballs that I was just talking about. So you, one needs to have that disability insurance because we are the asset. We don't produce widgets, 
we deliver services. So we definitely need to cover ourselves. And so the difference between disability insurance and critical illness and life, which is all on its own, is, is this. So there is no one policy or no one insurance policy that covers all things in life. Disability covers disability in the sense that if we're unable to work, there's a certain amount of compensation that, that pays us back in replacement of our paycheck. And so we make a monthly income because we deliver the services. But if I'm unable to work anymore because of injury or whatever reason uh, from a disability, then I need that paycheck to be covered because we have monthly expenses. We have monthly financial obligations to family, uh, to different vendors, to different creditors. So there has to be a mechanism to cover those monthly expenses. And so that's what that disability insurance is for. The critical illness insurance is if someone falls down with a critical illness. So there's 25 critical illness as stated by the policy. Some is 26, but different policies are a bit different. You have to really be careful as to what each policy cover. But I would probably be confident to say that it'll cover most cancers, it'll cover stroke, it'll cover, you know, MS, multiple sclerosis, it'll cover ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. So it will cover critical illnesses. So illnesses that will make a person critically ill. And so in that scenario, um, the policy will uh, compensate the policyholder with a lump sum amount. And that lump sum amount is there to really uh, pay for the extra financial burden that will occur after the diagnosis of that illness. So imagine this, someone is now uh, having a stroke, they had a stroke, and now they have to recuperate from that stroke, assuming that they did not pass away. And if they're recuperating from that stroke, uh, they cannot work or they're not in the capability of working, but they still need to uh, you know, go to rehab, they may need uh, support at home, they may need PSW, uh, they have to have uh, clinic visits with their doctor on a regular basis, at which point they have to go to the hospital and pay for these exorbitant hospital parking charges. Um, they have to pay for medication. Um, and also we, we have to remember that if someone is critically ill and needs care, uh, the rest of the family may need to chip in. So the spouse may need to chip in, the parents may need to chip in. And if they're helping and they have to reduce their own income, well, you can understand that for the entire, entire family unit, there could be a, a significant reduction in, in money coming in. Uh, but the monthly expenses are still there. Right, still have to pay the mortgages, still have to pay tuition for the kids, still have to put you know food on the table, still have to pay uh, you know the finance minister in taxes, you know, and so all those commitments, financial commitments, still exist, and so it's 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 good to have that critical illness insurance to cover for that. In regards to life insurance, well. 
it's really called death insurance. It's not called life insurance because you can't use it during life. Uh, there are other types of life insurance per se that are uh, what we call the um, whole life insurance that has a cash value in it, but we're not gonna go there today. That's not the point. The point is just to talk about what we so-called life insurance, it's really death insurance, is to cover expenses after death. John Doe has a policy, uh, John Doe passes away, the, the policy is now um, kicking in and there's a certain amount that is paid to the estate of John Doe. And so that money is to hopefully pay for the funeral costs, uh, is to pay for the remaining of the mortgages, or is to pay for the, the children's tuition or whichever way the uh, beneficiary of that policy decides he or she wants to do with it. But it's really to not leave the family with a financial mess after we pass away. So when John Doe passed away, John Doe is probably okay financially because he's dead. He won't worry too much about finances but John Doe's family needs to worry about the finances. And so that's what life insurance is for. So definitely uh, not a reason to stop the disability insurance. And in fact, as we, um, as we develop a career, as we move along in life, we accumulate more and more financial obligations and more and more financial um, burden and um, challenges. And so again, insurance policies is a good way to transfer my risk from me, the individual, to the insurance company because the insurance company does that for a huge amount of people, millions of people. And so they are at a better position to take on that risk than me as individual VU can take on all the risk associated with life. Exactly. Thank you so much for that very, very thorough explanation. Um, so I just want to quickly summarize to make sure I'm getting this right. Um, the three different types of insurances that we talked about. So we have the disability insurance that mainly covers your month to month paycheck in case yes. you incur any disability. Then you have the critical illness, which is more of a lump sum um, to help to cover any extra financial burden in case you suffer from a critical illness. And then the life insurance, which is more of the expenses after death. Um, so it can benefit your remaining family members, let's say, um, to help with that. Um, so, so I can really tell that they're for different parts of your life and that one does not replace the other. Exactly. And so um, thank you very much, Anne. This was uh, very helpful. I'm, I'm hoping that it's helpful for you, first of all. Um, and two, Absolutely, I'm, yes. And I hope that it's helpful for uh, my audience as well. And you know what? Thank you very much for sharing, Anne. Thank you for having me, Vu. I was very happy to share my experience. Hopefully others can learn from this. I definitely learned a lot today. How is my financial health, Doc? podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice. 
Well, guys and girls, if you like this show and think you learned a ton, please share with your colleagues. <laughs>